0: This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 35. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Brown. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I'm your host Brian Hood with my co-host Mr. Chris Graham. Hey Chris, how you doing today, buddy?
1: I'm great, Brian. How are you, sir? <laughs> oh my! How God. are you,
0: sir? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, I'm a little weirded out from uh, the season finale for for Westworld, but uh, I'll I'll f- I'll make it. Me it's too. Fine. Just I'm pretend fine. you
1: understand, like we're all doing right now.
0: I'm so smart and I understand everything. <laughs> no, I didn't get it. Anyways. Uh, This episode is all about what is our topic today chris actually I always tell it and you you can actually probably explain this topic idea better than I can
1: Yeah, so brian and I we were having a conversation um before we recorded this about feedback loops not audio ones not like that Uh, when you put a microphone close to your studio monitor on accident and they're both On and it sounds like hell We're talking about feedback loops as in feedback from your customers feedback from your customers fans Stuff that you can use to improve your final product other than just being a genius
0: And I think when we start talking about feedback loops and the importance of feedback loops One of the things that I think is universally understood as a positive is speeding up the feedback loop So from the time you do the work to the time you get some sort of feedback from someone including yourself Yeah, uh, how fast can you make that loop and the faster the better so the example i've used on this podcast before Is in the photography world when digital photography came about It sped up the feedback loop so much that they had massive improvements in all areas of photography Because you could take a photo and then instantly see What you had just done as opposed to before digital photography You would have to take a photo on film and then wait days or weeks Before you could see what actually happened So your feedback loop was stretched out a long ways and that really slows down learning a lot so That same thing applies to audio where we're trying to talk about what areas can we improve our feedback loop on? What can we do to speed those areas up? And specifically we have some areas that we think Need to have the fastest feedback loop possible in order to both have a better product and two have happier clients and three Make your life a lot easier
1: Yeah, because the big thing here is that the faster the feedback loop is the faster you learn If you have a really slow feedback loop And it takes a while before you have something the customer can say I like this or I don't like this You don't learn as quick. There's less opportunity for improvement And honestly, that's been a big advantage for myself as a mastering engineer My feedback loop is really fast Because my turnaround is really fast a mastering project doesn't take that long But back in the day when I was the all singing all dancing producer who helped write songs who recorded everything who tracked everything who mixed everything who edited everything it took a really really long time to start to get feedback from the customer And there's a great story from a friend of mine that i've mentioned in the podcast before That's the perfect example of why you need feedback loops He got hired by a band He recorded the band. He tracked all the drums and then he spent an entire week Editing the drums before he showed the band anything Sent the rough mixes including drum edits To the band and the band said we don't like this. Please put the drums back to the way we they were when we tracked them he just tanked a week and That is an example of a a long feedback loop. There are feedback loop issues there And while it might seem efficient To work in that way to batch sometimes it's extremely inefficient because if you f up You're stuck with it. You lost a bunch of time.
0: Absolutely and Every single niche or every single service that we provide in the audio industry has natural feedback loops that are some are longer some are shorter So my world of mixing it's a lot longer than your world of mastering inherently and you know full production tracking editing mixing and mastering is you know way longer than even mixing and probably 10x longer than even mastering if not more so Obviously some areas are going to be faster feedback loops than others But that does not mean that there are not ways you can speed up the feedback loop in all of these areas So today we're going to discuss a lot of these different areas and ways to speed the feedback loop up in your area, whatever service you're providing. And you mentioned something, your guy worked for a week doing drum edits. And while that does feel more efficient because you're batching your work, you mentioned batching, and batching can be a great way to become more efficient at things. There are some rules that apply to batching that I think we need to discuss before we even go into the areas of, of speeding up. And I think I was just actually having a conversation with my girlfriend about this when it comes to batching, some smart ways and some not so smart ways to batch. So just to clarify for those of you who don't know what that means batching is let's just say uh, we're doing drum editing And you have 10 songs to drum edit And batching would just be doing all 10 songs in a row And the more songs you do in a row you probably get a little faster a little more Comfortable with the drummer you figure out what he kind of does if he tends to rush or not rush and over time You'll feel like you're being more efficient by batching by doing it all in one big batch and then just singing it to the band for feedback And you know a non-batched approach would be editing a song and then singing to the band immediately for feedback And so my rule of thumb for batching work is if all of the work is basically identical Let's just keep using this drum example here If all the work's identical Well, I want to send I want to edit one song immediately get feedback on that before doing the rest of the work Because I know that if the band gives me approvals on that one song Then I know that they'll probably be happy with the rest of the nine songs But if you wait and you do all 10 songs in a row and then you realize that hey, they didn't want all of the drums quantized to the grid so strongly Well, then you have to go back and undo all the work you just did.
1: Yeah. Another example, um, and this is a really, really popular workflow, is you're working with a band, you want to do an album, so you set up the drums, you set up all the mics, you do some quick scratch tracks, and then you do all the drums for the entire album in a few days, or maybe even in one day. And you get them all done and then you continue to work on the songs and you say all right We're doing We're gonna do uh, guitars next So you do all the guitars on all the songs So yeah batching is something that can be very useful You know, especially if you're in a situation where you're like, oh, we're gonna you know This was what I used to do when I was producing, you know years and years ago Is I would do scratch tracks at my house With the artist and we would go to a professional like awesome studio with session players and you know a nice big drum room and a cool control room and all that stuff and we would track all the drums at once and it was cheaper to do it that way But we didn't know what any of the songs were going to sound like when they were done for like another couple months And worst case scenario. So when you're batching there's so many things where you can say well I'm going to mix the whole record front to back or i'm going to track all the drums In one day or i'm gonna track all the guitars in one day or, We're going to do all the vocals in one day the opposite of batching Is this production approach to say we're going to finish a song We're going to do whatever we need to do to finish one song And once we've done that we're going to move on and finish the second song and the third song and so on and so forth so This batching thing is a really important question to ask yourself How do we get the best final product? But how do I also make a reasonable income and how do I keep my prices low? These are compromises you need to make when you're deciding Does batching have any place in the record you're working on?
0: I think full disclosure, we should talk about the book we just were both reading right now where we got this idea from. We're reading a book, both of us right now, called The Lean Startup. And the entire premise of this book is to speed up the feedback loop in something called the build, measure, learn feedback loop. So when you're building a business, uh, there's all sorts of little miniature projects, you know, when you're building a business and you want to speed up the flow in which you build those things You measure the progress or getting feedback on those things and then you learn from that measurement part And then you continue to build and, and iterate or pivot And i'm not trying to get all businessy and weird here and get too off the beaten path But this book is definitely a huge influence on the way I do
1: things and the way I think chris does things Yeah, that being said we're not necessarily recommending it. Yeah <laughs> officially on the podcast Well, let's just go ahead and
0: clarify chris and I are both building businesses on the side right now And we're both in the you know, let's just say early phases And so to keep things as lean as possible the lean startup is a great book for that So if you got a side hustle, it's a wonderful book if you're just trying to start a studio I don't know if I could recommend it.
1: Yeah, I probably wouldn't let's zoom out here a little bit I think that there is a generational issue with batching I think that generally you look at the older generations in our society, you know, i'm an american here so older americans they love batching. They really are all about it. Us, us younger, us, I mean, I'm not saying we only have millennials listening to the podcast and I'm I'm on the very edge of a millennial. I'm 36. So you're I make, like the oldest millennial in yeah, the world. I'm like the oldest you can possibly be and still be a millennial. So our generation is sort of known for fast feedback loops. And, um, you know, some people refer to us as the YouTube generation. And what's interesting about that is that our philosophies generationally tend to be run small experiments, do tests. You know, you look at YouTube. YouTube is amazing, not just because of what it is and the videos and it's entertaining and I watch it for like three hours a day, but (laughs) it's interesting because someone makes a video, they post it, and in the length of time, it takes someone to watch that video after they post it. Say it's a 10 minute video. 10 minutes later, they have feedback. They have comments of people that are like, this is awesome, or whoa, cool, or you're lame. Stop being a jerk. Like the feedback loop is crazy fast. And you look at our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents generation, the entire philosophy of business was let's get as much money as we can. Let's go all in. Let's put it all on the table. Let's build the entire business and then let's open.
0: And Anyone listening right now that understands a damn thing about business can see the shortcoming in that approach Which is you could spend six years building a business that nobody wants nobody cares about no one wants your product You're you've succeeded at failing
1: Exactly. So this feedback loop is an important conversation and it really is cutting edge in business philosophy right now This lean startup this lean methodology Is has been buzzy for a couple years. Uh, people are obsessed with it because it's super smart And so the philosophy that a lot of businesses are doing is you know, what's the MVP what's the minimum viable product or in our case Minimum viable service that we can offer to begin to get feedback from customers
0: And I think the entire key to this is cutting waste. That's the lean the lean startup movement that's the lean manufacturing and you know in any sort of Actual physical product manufacturing thing that's that seems to be what is going big right now is lean manufacturing and in, in audio or in the studio What can you do to get the project out as fast as possible to start getting feedback because this is the big key I want to drive it into your heads is Every single thing that you do that the client doesn't want you've just wasted time And the more time you invest into a project without the feedback of your client The more potential there is for wasted time and effort yeah, and not only is that wasted time but it's extraordinarily frustrating for you the service provider When you get a long list of things that they want changed after spending a week or a month working your ass off or something
1: Yeah, so if you are in a situation where you are You have the opportunity to build your studio big and fast, you know, let's say you come into some money You inherit something Inherent 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 <laughs> 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 You inherit some money or you win the lottery what previous generations would say is, well, get investors, take out loans, build your studio, make it awesome, and then open your doors and get some feedback from customers. Ooh, Ooh boy, that is terrifying, especially in this economy with recording studios. The flip side of the coin would be to start a small studio uh, or a mobile or even a pop-up studio where you're like, hey, we're going to rent this Airbnb, we're going to record an album. In the airbnb i'm just going to bring a bunch of gear. I might even rent it I might not even own it And begin to get feedback of do clients love working with me and can I get more clients? That's the question
0: you're going to quickly get feedback from people to see hey, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Yeah, where do you butt heads? Where do you shine? And it could be that you you figure out hopefully as cheap as possible You figure out that you are not meant to do (laughs) One-on-one projects with actually working face-to-face with artists and now that's great if you only spent a couple thousand dollars To figure this out, but if you if you got investment dollars, which you're not going to do anymore But if you got investment dollars and you build this massive facility And you spent hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on a facility and then you find out you don't want to work face-to-face with clients That's that's what you want to avoid that's the entire point of this episode today and I think One other industry you see this in a lot that I think a lot of people will recognize is in the food industry The the restaurant industry it's extremely expensive and difficult to start up a successful restaurant It's one of the most notoriously difficult industries to succeed in And so what you see nowadays is a lot of food trucks and a food truck is very interesting because you can take what would be a fraction of the budget of a traditional restaurant. You can get a proof of concept for just a fraction of the time, money, and effort you would spend on a full restaurant. And you can establish a brand. You can see if people are gonna like the food. You can test your menu a lot more easily. You can move around to different audiences to see what your you know product market fit is or what your ideal type of customer is before you ever invest money in a location and a build out and a, a design concept and a menu and a chef and all these other things. So I I just think that, There's a lot you can learn from that as well
1: But before we dive into the individual batching feedback loop tweaks you can do in the different parts of the work of our industry Let's talk about one more batching thing the elephant in the room albums Should you pitch a band on recording an album with you? Or should you pitch them on recording one song at a time and then releasing each song to their fans? As you finish them I think you can
0: do either. I still think you could do either. We can argue
1: about this though. You can, but the album is certainly not always the right answer. And in my opinion, the singles approach is very rarely the wrong answer. It might be not the best answer, but it's very rarely the wrong answer.
0: My argument to that is a couple things. First of all, while it does sound nice to be able to spread it out over, let's just say a 10 month period, we'll do one song a month, I'll get regular income. Yeah. My argument to that is anything can happen in that 10 month period where the client doesn't come back to you or the client breaks up or the client, you know, insert thing that could happen here. When a band wants to hand you money to record an album, I'm not going to try to talk that band out of it. I would rather find ways to speed up that feedback loop in the studio for the month that I have them in my studio than to try to spread it out Over time and then have something happen to that source of income.
1: Yeah, that's a good point However, I think the counterpoint to that is that it's hard to get a band to write a big check
0: Yeah, and if that's the topic if the budget is the problem then absolutely just say hey You can't afford me in one batch, but let's spread this out over the next 10 months So you can afford me and that way you have regular songs for your clients. We talked about this Uh, I believe a few episodes ago and I think that point still stands strong
1: It does and I I imagine we'll continue to talk about this because this is an interesting issue in our industry What's interesting about this from a feedback loop perspective and what this episode can be potentially valuable to you for Is in, is teaching your bands about a feedback loop To say hey, you know, I think you know, you've got 10 songs seven of them are pretty good three of them need some work To just buckle down and do an entire album and then release it to fans and see if they like it For most artists is a risk Yes, they want to be able to go to shows and sell vinyl or sell cds or whatever But there is an sometimes immeasurable value to releasing one song a month for a few months and seeing how people respond
0: Yeah, if you're an artist hands down This is the conversation for you as an artist if you're in a band or you're a solo artist or whatever One song at a time and the the exact reason for that is this feedback loop We just talked about it is in the artist's best interest to do one song at a time two at most because they can test wildly different sounds and see really what is resonating with their fan base And especially if you're new and you don't have a fan base yet to be able to Continuously test different sounds and different you know Working with different producers as an artist and working with different types of instruments with as an artist you have a lot more chance of success Because you can speed this feedback loop up Uh, And I think that's a different conversation for a different (laughs)
1: podcast (laughs) for sure
0: All right, let's actually dive into this now I think we should talk about the specifics behind how to speed up the feedback loop And I think the first one we have on our list here is with mixing because that's what I do So I guess this will probably be mostly me talking on this bullet point here, Chris, but feel free to chime in Uh, When it comes to mixing work, we've already talked about the batch sizes and batching And so when I get let's just say I get a full-length album from a band And I want to speed up that feedback loop It's if you've been listening this far, it should be completely obvious to you What you should do to speed up the feedback loop and that is mix one song And send it to the band for feedback now The couple things to note about this is I still see people doing that and I still see people spending way too much time on that one song so what I do is a band will reach out to me I'll book the, the album i'll mix one song But the way I mix the song is I do it extremely fast Obviously i'll take their ideas into mind when they are that they send me like I ask them for reference mixes I ask them for any kind of overarching Ideas of what they want the mix to sound like what their vibe is and I'll take that into account. But at the end of the day, I have a vision for what I think they're trying to tell me. So what they say and what they want are two completely different things. So I have to first internalize what they want. And then I have to put my own ideas of what that means in a mix. So the way I do it though, is I do it as quickly as possible. I know they may not like it, but I want to test this as quickly as possible because the sooner I can get feedback, the faster I can get it to exactly where they want to go. So what I do is I mix it really fast. I mix with the heart, not with the brain. I'm not doing surgical eq i'm just trying to get the big picture stuff What did the overall drums sound like do they like the way the drums sound do they like the way the guitar sound the bass tones the vocals do they like the you know how the Vocals sit in the mix the overall eq for that any reverbs and delays, you know I want the big picture stuff how roomy do they want the drums I get it how I think they want it and I do it very fast And I want that feedback as soon as possible Because the faster I get their feedback the faster I can get it to exactly where they want to go So when I send the mix off to them, I let them know hey This is probably way off from where you want it to be But I need your feedback from this because this will help me get to where you want it to go So ignore you know the overall Mix just give me big picture on each specific instrument And then the next mix will get you a lot closer to what you want And this has hands down been the biggest game changer for me in mixing because i'm not trying to get it perfect first mix That is the big mistake most people make when mixing is they try to make it perfect the first mix You will never make it perfect the first mix So the longer you spend the more time you're wasting on that first mix get feedback as fast as possible and at the end of the day as long as they get the final mix the way they want it I don't necessarily care what their initial re- gut response is on the first mix. They may hate it But as long as they love the final mix, that's what I care about And if that means that they have to be scared when they first get that mix have some doubts some questions about it As long as I get that feedback early on I can get it exactly where they want it to go And everyone's happy at the end of the day I've wasted less time at the beginning of the project and it's a better end project And that's in a nutshell how I speed up the feedback loop in mixing is just by not obsessing over this
1: I love that. I think there's an interesting other issue at play there. I love what you said about mixing That first mix is about mixing with your heart not with your head And man, I wish someone had explained that to me 15 years ago that that was a thing And I think what happens sometimes when you do that when you get a fast feedback loop and you send them a song Is the band's going to listen to that mix 50 times? And something I like to call demoitis is probably going to set in. They are probably going to start to love that first mix. And the more they listen to it, the more they're going to start to like it in many cases. Not necessarily in all cases and certainly not necessarily with all mix engineers. But that starts to get interesting from a workflow process if you get to mix with your heart instead of your mind because the band heard something your heart did early on. So man, that's a whole metaphysical conversation there, but Very very interesting topic. Definitely not what I did when I Was a you know the all singing all dancing producer who had no idea what he was doing, you know years and years and years and years ago
0: I mean the biggest thing though is Obviously don't mix all 10 songs and then send it to the band (laughs) That is like the worst thing you could possibly do when mixing an album or an ep or anything anything more than one song I'll mix one song and start getting feedback and I get approvals for that one song and a final, oh, I forgot to say this. I iterate on that first song until it's a final mix or a final master. And only then do I touch the other songs.
1: That's awesome. I love that. And I, I think that there's an aspect of courage there.
0: Yeah, it takes a lot of, not just courage, but confidence.
1: Yes, to show the band something that isn't necessarily done, that you haven't let yourself nerd out on and been like, I'm going to adjust the Dremel of our heads, 0.03. 3dp at 22.1k Like if you're not completely nerding out that can be scary You know, I think a lot of times we overcompensate people in our industry, especially as dudes overcompensate with you know wanting to be extra Uber ocd, you know with a mix
0: One other thing is making sure you're working with the right type of clients Uh, This kind of goes outside the realm of what we're talking about today But the reason i'm able to work so quickly and with such confidence is because Nine times out of ten when when i'm mixing a band the reference mixes they give me for their album is something i've mixed in the past (laughs) I mean, honestly, if you're a mixing engineer you do this full-time Most likely you're able to do this full-time because you have a specific sound that someone wants Yeah, and when you have a certain sound then it is completely natural to you to create that sound Now if someone comes to me and they want someone else's mix I'll have to tell them if you want that person's mix, go work with them, <laughs> like, <laughs> go hire them. They're available for hire too. Like if you come to me, I'm not going to make you sound like an Adam Nolly good, good mix. His stuff is amazing. I love his work, but I do not sound like him nor will I probably ever. So if you want to sound like Nolly, which is a, a big mixing guy in my genre of music, heavy music, then go hire him to mix your album. And you know, I can maybe have some influence in what I do to kind of get closer to that But at the end of the day It's just going to sound like either a watered down version of one of his mixes or a bastardized version of one of my own mixes Yeah so it's really important to find your own sound and stick to that sound and Try not to tell someone or lead someone to believe that you can give Someone else's sound to your clients So I think that's all I have to say about the mixing side of things. Let's talk about mastering now You are the master of mastering chris graham. You've done (laughs) Thousands of projects likely thousands if not tens of thousands What are some ways that you can speed this uh, feedback loop up in the mastering world? Which, you know, really already has a pretty fast feedback loop.
1: Yeah, that's true. The feedback loop in mastering is very fast because you're not going to work on a project for six months, usually. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope
0: uh, not, although it can happen.
1: Yeah, it it sometimes does, but (laughs) it's rare and it's usually, uh, there are other issues at play, shall we say. So with mastering, my response on this is probably going to be kind of surprising. I love doing a free mastered sample. I freaking love it. And here's why. My strategy is really simple. You know, we've talked about under-promising and over-delivering in the past. What I what I do on the website is I say, hey, go to my website, com. upload a song, and I'll master a free sample. But then I do two samples. I do one that's less compressed, which generally is the one I think you should pick. And then I do one that's a little bit more compressed, but definitely not over-compressed. I send both samples back to the client. And the first thing that's happened there is I've overdelivered. i've sent two samples instead of the one they were expecting And that makes people happy The next thing that happens that's incredible is I only get one of four responses Wow sample one is awesome. We want to hire you. Can you make the record sound like that? Two wow, we love sample two. Could you make the record sound like that? Three could you do something in between sample one and sample two or four? Thanks, but no, thanks and man, those are great answers because when I sit down to do the record, I know, okay, they loved sample one. That's the style I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue. I'm not going to change a whole lot from how I did sample one and the way that I'm approaching the rest of the record. And there's some pitfalls there, but you know, if they sent you a song that doesn't sound anything like the rest of the record, that can sometimes cause some confusion. Very rarely though. But, you know, this it might surprise you to say, but I'm sometimes not Really pumped when I get a record from a first-time client who has never asked for a sample before It gives me a moment of pause when I start mastering that first record Ah, oh, man, I wish I had a little bit more feedback from them So occasionally I don't do this very often. Sometimes i'll master one song first Send it back to them even after they booked and say hey, what do you think of this? But yeah, that feedback loop is so important. I mean, running a mastering business is very very difficult But one of the things that makes it Not so difficult Is that the client knows what they're getting when they hire you and that's where that free mastering sample I think has made such a big impact on my life Is that they know what they've signed up for and they've got a pretty good idea of what the record's going to sound like when they get it back When stuff gets really ugly in mastering and i'm sure every single person listening that has any experience in this industry has heard stories About oh, we you know, we mixed the record we sent it to the mastering engineer And he sent it back and it didn't sound Anything close to what we wanted. It was terrible And then he was a jerk about it and he was condescending man. I just I hate that story but I hear it a couple times a week and That's ultimately a feedback loop issue It's mastering engineers who have been so arrogant That they don't want a feedback loop at all. It's hire me I'm going to give you what I want it to sound like and if you get a problem with that go jump in the lake And that feedback loop, you know, if you want to have happy customers, you have to have a fast feedback loop that allows you to adjust. And the other thing that's fascinating about that, that I'm so thankful for as far as being a mastering engineer, is because I've worked with so many people, they've taught me what good customer service is. They've taught me that, hey, I remember, you know, years ago, I I would say, I'll have this back for you in a week. And then they'd request a revision on one song and i'd say well my turnaround's week So i'll have this revision back for you in a week that doesn't go well (laughs) So that feedback loop what people complained about the speed of my revision So now I block out a little bit of time every day So that if I do get a revision request, which is very rare less than 10 percent Maybe less than five percent of the time I have time at the end of every day where I do revisions so that i've got one business day turnaround And in many cases the same day So the only reason I learned that that is a really great technique and if you're trying to run a mastering business I highly recommend using that, you know, kind of strategy to have faster revisions If you're using that technique and you're getting that fast feedback you learn quickly You learn a lot about customer service You learn a lot about you know For some people that are starting out with mastering or don't really know what they're doing They might be just like oh, yeah, man oral exciter on every master <laughs> like bbe sonic maximizer or something like that. that's like dude no never do that when you have a fast feedback loop and you're getting fast feedback from customers you learn things like oh i probably shouldn't do that or oh if i get too aggressive with mid-side compression and the center of the stereo image is moving a little more than it should in comparison to the sides You start to get feedback from enough people that everyone says they don't like that that you start to learn. Okay Okay, I guess i'll avoid that so that fast feedback loop man I am so grateful That I am in a line of work that allows for a fast feedback loop.
0: All right, so Let's move on to our third topic of conversation here when it comes to speeding up feedback loops and that is when tracking artists So when you have someone in the studio with you recording And both chris and I have experience with this. We both have recorded, you know done full production with for artists before Neither of us do that anymore, but i'm pretty sure I definitely have things to add to this i'm sure chris has things to add to this as well but one of the things i'll go ahead and say off the bat That is a way to speed the feedback loop up in the studio is let's just use example We'll keep going with the 10 song album. This is getting more and more rare these days Most people are doing eps or singles, but let's just say you do have a full-length album This would also work with a five song or six song ep So the same principle applies you have multiple songs to do in the studio What a lot of studios do is they'll do all of the drums And then they'll edit all of the drums And then they'll do all of the bass parts and then all of the guitars and then all of the vocals And this seems to be what a lot of studios have done for for decades now And that was something that never really sat right with me. I didn't like it a because it was just Monotonous to me. I I have to have some sort of change Keep things fresh to where it's interesting and we're not just doing the same damn thing for two weeks Otherwise, I go insane. This is the real reason I, I started doing it the way I do it But the second benefit which I didn't see back then but now I see through fresh eyes is the feedback loop You're speeding things up if you do this and that is you do one song at a time and The reason this is great is because as you do one song at a time in the studio It does a number of things. First of all, it allows you to see where the sticking points are it could be that The bass player is absolute garbage and if you were to do all of his parts at one time It may be a situation where the guitarist left because he finished all his guitar parts If you're if you're doing bass after guitar or the guitarist isn't there yet because he had to work And now he's coming to the studio, you know after the bass So you have to work with the bassist if this is the situation But if you do one song at a time, you're able to see what the sticking points are What are the points that are keeping you from getting what you want either sound wise or Personality wise when you're working with someone in the studio You don't want to have that type of person you're working with if they're a pain in the ass or that you clash with them Or that they're ill-prepared And it allows you to take measures to prevent it for the other songs And it allows you to kind of get comfortable working with people over time If you're doing it one song at a time uh, It gives you a chance to have a break between people and it allows you to Start learning what works and what doesn't as you're starting to work with these people
1: Yeah Here's the thing. Some of you are listening to this episode and you're thinking, oh, that's stupid. Oh, that's not good business. Oh, you want to track all the drums at once. Here's my pushback on that. My pushback is a story from the 1960s in my favorite place in the audio world, Hitsville, USA. It's the Motown Studios in Detroit.
0: Gary Bordy's, Gar- Gary. Gary Bordy. Barry, Barry,
1: <laughs> Barry, Gary Gordy Gary Gordy's studio. Gary Gordy's studio. They would record by and large live they'd record a large part of the songs live and then they would do vocal overdubs in some cases And then what they would do is they would do a quick mix And they would make sure they had a lot of lead time on their tape So they'd have like 10 15 seconds of just tape roll Before they started actually counting in and recording and here's why They got an old am radio transmitter and they plugged into the console And they'd rewind the tape all the way to the front They'd get the board right where they wanted it They'd press play and then they would sprint to the parking lot get in their cars and tune in the mix They were working on in their cars And they would listen in their cars and here's what's important about that Artists don't have a whole lot of experience in the studio They've got a little bit more now that home studios are more popular But artists have a ton of experience listening to music in their cars because artists by and large aren't professional artists They're professional drivers They drive from town to town to town to town and they spend 50 60 100 hours on the road sometimes each week And you know what they do they listen to music in their car or in their van while they tour So that feedback loop that's so so important here is not You got your client sitting on the couch you press play They listen to your speakers and then they have all this feedback about oh I change this I change that sometimes that goes very poorly Because they have no idea what your speakers sound like they have no idea what your room sounds like And they're super jazzed about being in a recording studio When it gets really interesting is when you give the client the artist time to listen to the mix or in my case the master In an environment that they are very familiar with And time to compare it to other projects that they listen to in their own leisure time So that feedback loop is very interesting and the more of that you get The faster in many cases you're going to get something the client loves
0: And that's something I used to do. I didn't really think about it until now. You just spur my memory I would mix as I went and so by the time we finished up an album the album was basically mixed It would take me Maybe a half a day to tighten things up at the very end when the band had wrapped up tracking but most likely I had mixed all along the way and what I would do is Anytime I came up with a mix that I wanted to bounce down That I thought was like a decent mix I would give it to the band and they could go listen to their cars listen on their headphones Uh, Listen on their laptops in a lot of cases, which is I don't know why people do that But that's what they do because they're familiar with those shitty laptop speakers And it allows them to hear it on different listening systems and provide feedback while we're in the studio And that's one of many ways of speeding up that feedback loop is giving them mixes while you're still in progress
1: Yeah, so let's talk about this book me and brian are reading the lean startup The lean startup is based on this idea that was pioneered by toyota called lean manufacturing The toyota way and here's how this applies to your recording studio Back in the day and ironically this is in detroit too henry ford figured this out is that they would batch everything They'd build cars and they would batch. Hey, your job is to put the upper right lug nut on the back Driver side tire and that's all you'll do all day Now that was great when cars were really simple But as cars got more and more complex inevitably what would happen is they'd manufacture 1,500 or 2,000 or 3,000 cars and then somebody would notice something was wrong. They'd say, oh crap, we just made 3,000 cars, but the airbags don't work. Crap, oh man, if we had known about this in like step 407 in manufacturing, we could have fixed it. So the lean manufacturing revolution was about smaller batch size. It's we're going to manufacture a couple hundred cars or something like that
0: Yeah, they pioneered just-in-time manufacturing.
1: Yeah just-in-time manufacturing and if something goes wrong if we catch a mistake Anybody on the manufacturing line can hit a button and stop the whole manufacturing line So they can fix it so that they don't replicate the mistake into every single car that they make huge so if you are Ascribing to the really popular workology or work methodology or whatever you want to call it Of We record all the drums And then we record all the guitars and then we record all the bass and then we record all the vocals If you work like that You might be shooting yourself in the foot and it might be one of the reasons you're frustrated enough with your career That you're listening to this podcast If you can find a way to shrink the batch size you improve the speed of the feedback loop from your customers And you have less revision requests you have less like oh man I'm, just not really feeling this record anymore when you're only 75 percent of the way done
0: yeah, and I think there's another story from that book that I think is really important. And helps drive the point home, and that is when you're stuffing envelopes. Let's just say you have 100 envelopes, 100 letters, uh, and you have to stamp them all and address them all. If you have 100 of these, most people think that if you just you know fold all 100 pieces of paper, or 100 letters, you fold them up all at the same time, so get all 100 folded up, and then you put all 100 letters into the envelopes at the same time, and then you go through and you dress or you seal all 100 envelopes at the same time, and then you go to put the stamp on all 100 envelopes at the same time, and then you, then you're done or whatever. You know, that's the process. And they've shown time and time and time again through scientific studies that the actual fastest way to do it is to simply do from start to finish the entire process. So let's just say we take one piece of paper, we fold it up, we put it into the envelope, we seal the envelope, we write the address on the envelope, and we, st- we stamp the envelope. And we do that 100 times. And that is actually faster And that doesn't even take into account the potentiality of things going wrong in the process So let's just say you do the batching route which seems more efficient in your brain But it's not but let's just say for this example You fold all 100 pieces of paper and then you try to put all 100 pieces of paper into the envelope But the envelope's too small now you have A lot of work you just wasted and you either have to get bigger envelopes which you just wasted money on those 100 small envelopes or you have to refold the paper in order to fit it into the smaller envelopes So you just wasted a bunch of time folding 100 pieces of paper the wrong way and that in a nutshell Solidifies the whole entire point and that is if you were to just do the entire process from start to finish of folding paper Putting it in the envelope stamping the envelope and addressing the envelope Then from envelope number one You would have realized immediately that the envelope was too small or you folded the paper wrong one of the two and that is the entire in a nutshell the thing about getting these feedback loops sped up And not just doing everything in these massive batches
1: Yeah, so how many of you have been in a recording situation with a band you're working on an album And a fair distance into the album you run into something that you know is going to be a problem It might be a coke habit for the lead singer It might be you know that you spent All this time on scratch tracks and getting everything demoed out drum machines and then you sit down with the drummer And the drummer can't play to a click And that's going to be a problem So there are just all these situations that come up That could have been better avoided by going one song at a time So I know this sounds so counterintuitive and there are so many people in so many situations Where this isn't the best idea, but here's what you need to understand batching is a tool. It's a productivity tool. And like all tools, there are appropriate times to use them and inappropriate times to use them. A hammer is a great tool, but that doesn't mean I should use a hammer every single time I'm working on my house. Sometimes the hammer is the wrong tool and it does more destruction than improvement to the house. But this is so interesting to think about batching as a tool And making the decision, this is kind of the theme of the podcast episode here, is we want to encourage you to make the decision whether or not the tool of batching is appropriate to use with this particular artist or that particular project.
0: Yeah, because there are situations where batching does make sense. It is a great tool to use. And there are times when you can use both, where you get some immediate feedback and then you batch. So it's a matter of finding the right time to use the right tool. Not saying not to ever batch or not saying to only ever do small batches like I said, there's a place for all of this But I think as long as you get away from this episode thinking What are some areas that I can start speeding up the feedback process? And where am I just dragging my heels because really if it gets down to if we're being honest A lot of it's just fear of getting feedback. It's fear of getting negative feedback At the end of the day, like I know it hurts But you have to be able to both take that critical feedback and then learn from that critical feedback And then apply it to whatever service you're providing to give them a better end product And if you can't take critical feedback or negative feedback if you just can't stomach it This isn't the business for you because you have to be willing to accept it